So we're in the middle of chapter 40. And because it's been so long, we really need to recap. We need to see like, where are we going? What's flying? We're on this incredible Tanya journey to help us realize that the Torah and mitzvahs, doing them not just behaviorally or by root, but really with our heart, is so accessible to us. The altar didn't say easy, but he said it is so accessible to us. And in coming to realize the journey of the Tanya, we allow our divine essence to shine. And that's truly our mission. Our mission is Hashem desire to have an abode in the lowest realms. And we are sent here to uncover him, to expose him in these lowest realms that hide him. And by exposing our own divine essence, we expose the divine essence of everything. And that should be easy enough, except it's really not. Because as we learned earlier, right in the beginning of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe introduced us to the fact that we have not one soul, but two souls. And while our truest self is our divine self, our most natural self is our animal self. What is the animal self? The animal self could be very sophisticated. It's not just an animal. It could be a musician. It could be a, a scientist. It could be a linguist. It could be actually a philanthropist. But at the end of the day, the agenda of the animal soul is me, me, me. Sometimes very subtly, even as a philanthropist. Could be very subtle. On the other hand, the divine soul is all about Hashem. It's about surrendering to its deepest essence to allow the infinite to shine right through it. And that would be amazing, except the divine soul cannot do anything in this world without using the medium of the body and the animal soul. So it wants to do a mitzvah. It wants to study Torah. It wants to pray. It can't unless it acts through the medium of the animal soul. And that is actually really painful. But there's a reason for it. Because if the divine soul can only act through the animal soul, that means that every time it does act, it's achieving its life mission and the purpose of creation. The divine soul is praying, the, di the divine soul is praying, the divine soul is studying Torah, the divine soul is giving charity. It's using the animal soul for that. It's using the body for that. So when it does that, it is taking this world and allowing it to express its divine essence. So we started in chapter 35, a new topic, and that was the primary importance of action. Because coming to this world, we are to take everything here that's physical and just get the deed done. Allow the divine will to be expressed through it. And that doesn't sound very Hasidic. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever, just get it done. I don't care. You feel it, you don't feel it, just get it done. And the truth is, that's not the end of it. That was the first part. The first part is the main thing is get the job done. But that's not where it stopped. Then we looked at the flip side of the coin and said, true. The physical act is of primary importance. Saying those words are so important. However, 
We can never underestimate the power of kavana, the power of intention. Infusing the physical with spiritual feelings of love for Hashem and fear of separation from Him or fear to disappoint Him, fear to rebel against Him. When those feelings are the motivating factor in our Torah study and our mitzvah performance, they allow the Torah study and the mitzvah performance to express their true essence. Because truly, Torah and mitzvahs, whichever way you're going to cut it, are only about Hashem. That's what they are. Everything in this world hides Him. Torah and mitzvahs express Him. They are truly holy whether or not there is love and fear of Hashem. However, looking at an act that is devoid of kavana, you cannot tell what it's about. You may not even see that it's connected to Hashem. When there is kavana involved, when there's love and fear for Hashem infusing this act, the true nature becomes apparent. And this deed becomes not just a holy act, but visibly holy. You can see its connection with Hashem. So we started looking at the idea that when somebody studies Torah in this world without the proper intentions, while it is indeed a holy act, because the animal soul that is powering those words can never constitute a separation of the holiness of the Torah. However, it is very limited. It is limited to the confines of this physical world. It is a holy act but a physical holy act. And the idea, the analogy that Rabbi Steinzels gave, which we brought up last class, was think about a paper that is a 2D medium. You can draw the most beautiful picture on it, which is even an illusion of a 3D picture. But you can never escape the fact that you're working with a 2D medium. That beautiful castle that you're drawing on the paper is nothing compared to the actual castle that is built 3D. Because now it is expanded in different dimensions of reality. So this holy act of Torah, this holy act of mitzvah, has many more dimensions to it than we can see. But when it's stuck in this physical world, it's folded and flattened with its, within its dimensions. It doesn't have the chance to express its true nature. However, when we infuse kavana, love and fear of Hashem in the mitzvah, now it's a whole different story. The godliness within it is not so greatly contracted. There's spirituality blown into it and it can fly higher. It can fly higher to the internal aspects of the higher worlds, to the 10 Sifi road of either Yetzira or higher than that to Berea. And over there you can see its true nature that this is a godly thing. This is something essentially holy. This is something that's one with Hashem. Pretty incredible. How much kavana do you need in order to take something that's just strictly physical and give it that power to fly? That's a good question. And again, this is something that Rabbi Shainzalt brings up. And he said, how much kavana do you need to have? Depends which way you look at it. On one hand, you can never have enough kavana. However much feelings, however passionate you are about Hashem, however in awe you are about Hashem, it's never going to be enough. On the other hand, how much do you need to change the essence of the act? Just a tiny, tiny amount. 
that minimal amount of relationship. All Hashem asks us for is the act and a tiny amount of relationship. He references the words that Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people. He says, Now, Jewish people, what does Hashem, your God, ask of you? Nothing, just, just to fear Hashem. Nothing but fearing Hashem. Is it such a small thing? That tiny little bit changes everything. And the same thing is true with teshuva. How much teshuva do we need to do? On one hand, teshuva never ends. The more we develop, the higher we go, we have to start doing teshuva all over again. And this is true about somebody who's done sins before. This is true about a perfect tzaddik who's never done any sins. Everybody needs to do teshuva. And the higher they rise, the more teshuva they need to do, this time at a deeper level. On the other hand, how much teshuva is necessary? Just that tiny little amount. It's not the crying. It's not the deep pangs of regret. It's when the person says, that's it, no more. And that alone, halachically, is teshuva. So how much kavana do we need in order to take this act out of the physical world? A tiny bit of amount. Let's just be cognizant. That this act is an act of love for Hashem. And this act is an act of fear of separation from Him. And that little bit of awareness changes everything. What happens to the Torah and the mitzvahs when it has that kavana? So we are on the printed booklets, if we all have the same ones. We're on page 8. So we just finished saying that therefore the kavana elevates the words to its own level meaning to the tense if he wrote of either Yetzira or Berea, depending on the type of kavana, whether it was a kavana of intellectual fear and love, in which case the ascent to Berea, like we discussed last chapter, or natural fear and love, which elevates to Yetzira, as we explained before. And what happens there? Visham meir umisgala or ein saif baruchu. There, in the tense if he wrote, the ein sof light shines forth, and is revealed, Shehu Ratzain Ha'elyein Baruchu, meaning the blessed divine will, Hamelubash Ba'aisyais Hatayra Shalaymeid Uvechavanasan, which is vested in the letters and in the Kavana of the Torah that one studies, Aibetfila Uvechavanasa, and or in the prayer and in its Kavana, Aibemitzvah Uvechavanasa, or in a mitzvah and in its Kavana. So over here, you can't see its full stature even when there is kavana. But when it rises, you can see what it's about. There, when it becomes incorporated in the divine operating force of the higher world, the tens of he wrote, there its true nature shines and the blessed will that is vested in these words and its kavana, because the kavana is Hashem's will too, as long as there's the actual act. So you need the act plus kavana and then they're both Hashem's will. When these rise to the higher worlds, there the divine will shines. This ain't so flight of the divine will radiates in the Sifi road with an infinitely great brightness that can by no means shine forth and be revealed while the letters of Torah and prayer and the mitzvahs are still in this physical world. 
The Torah and the mitzvot contain the radiance of the divine will, even as they are in this physical world. But this radiance is altogether incomparable to the radiance of the divine will that Torah and its vote contain when they ascend to the Sefirot of Yitzira or Berea. So here, even when there's Kavana, we can't really see their true nature. Where does their true nature shine? When they get to rise to their place. They rise to their place in the higher worlds, the inner aspects of the world. And suddenly you see, wow, this is the will of Hashem. And here's another amazing analogy from Rabbi Steinsaltz. And he says that, you know, you take a picture and you put it in its highest contrast. So you're looking at a person, you're looking at a tree, you're looking at a pole. They pretty much look all the same. Then you start making the contrast more realistic. You add some grayscale instead of just black and white. And you start to make, no, no, this is a person. This is a tree. Oh, that's just a pole. And then you add the colors and it's, Everything is completely different. This world is so limited in its scope of what it can reveal. To the extent that somebody can look at a holy book and Lahavdil, they can look at a book that is completely not holy and not even see the difference. Because this is not the place where the true nature, the essence of the holy act shines. When we let it fly, that's where its essence shines. You see, wow, look what that is. That is literally divine. But how crazy is it that we are constantly involved in the divine will itself and we are so oblivious that we are having this intimate encounter with Hashem every single time, that we are channels through which His will is being expressed and we can be so oblivious to it. It reminds me of that story that was going around after the queen died did you see that story? I'm sure at least some people at class saw this story. It's about the queen with her bodyguard in her vacation area. She was hiking and she met, they came across two American tourists and they were having some, making some small conversation, you know, chit chat, small talk. And they asked her where she lives. And she says, well, my primary residence is in London, but I have a vacation home, you know, around here in these parts where the queen's vacation home is. And right over their heads. They didn't catch anything. And they said, oh, how often do you go to London? So she goes, how often do you come here on vacation? She says, well, ever since I was a little girl. So I'm going to say about 80 years. And again, clueless, they don't pick up the clues. And then finally, one of them said, wow, so 80 years. I mean, you must have met the queen before. Did you ever see the queen? And she said, well, I personally haven't, but Dick over here meets with the queen regularly. So they said, wow, you meet with the queen. Tell us about her. So then he decided to have a little fun. I guess they were close enough that he can do that. And he said, well, you know, she's rather cantankerous, but she does have a lovely sense of humor. And so they wanted to take a picture with the bodyguard because he has seen the queen. And they asked the queen to take the picture of them with the bodyguard. So she obliges, she takes the picture of them, and then they switch places. The bodyguard was kind enough to say, you know what, let me get a picture of you guys. Takes a picture of them with the queen, and they both go their own merry way. And the queen turns to her bodyguard and says, well, I wish to be a fly on the wall when they get back to America, and hopefully somebody will recognize me and tell them who I am. We do that all the time. We have face-to-face encounters with Hashem himself, and we want to take a picture with the bodyguard. It is so wild. 
Only we have the ability to deal with the actual divine will, which transcends all the worlds. We're making these epic transformations and we are so oblivious to what is going on. So we're saying that the, the Torah and the mitzvahs are the will of Hashem. Here, we can't really see what they are, but when we infuse them with kavana, with our intentions of love and fear, they get to rise to higher worlds where their true essence shines. Here in this world, it cannot shine. Laimina v'laimiktsasa, neither the radiance itself that shines forth in the sifirot, nor any part of it can be revealed in this physical world. Ad eitz, ad eis, keitz hayamin, sheis ala ha'ayla migash miyusai, this disparity between the respective levels of radiance of the divine will and the sifirot and in this world will remain until the era of the end of days when the world will rise out of its materiality and the glory of God will be revealed for all flesh to behold as explained above at length. So right now, we can't see what the tournaments are about, but there is a time limit to that crazy condition. There's going to come a time when the veil is going to be lifted and we're going to see the essence of Hashem in this world. The Navi Yeshaya says, That means the glory of God will be revealed and all flesh together will behold that the mouth of Hashem has spoken. Now, if you just take a simple reading of it, you look at the commentaries, they explain that the glory of Hashem will be revealed at the end of days. At that time, when the prophecies will be revealed, then you'll know that it was Hashem who spoke. But looking at it at a deeper Kabbalistic level, it means that literally Hashem's glory will be manifested in this world and everybody together, all flesh will behold that the mouth of Hashem has spoke. Godliness will be utterly manifested in this world. Today, and hopefully that's going to end right now, physicality, constitutes the greatest, darkest veiling of the divine. When Mashiach comes, this veil that currently hides the divine is going to be transparent to it, and the essence of Hashem is going to shine through the physicality of this world. It's going to remain physical, and yet it's going to attest to the Creator. So looking at it, we will see the divine in everything. How is that even possible? Like we learned in chapter 36, this is through the power of Torah today that we use, the O's, the might, that we're fortifying and strengthening this world. We're drawing down his essence without seeing it. And the acts that we do now will become revealed and we'll see how physicality is completely surrendered to its divine source. And actually history has seen something like this before. And that was in the Holy Temple. The Holy Temple in the Kodesh HaKadashim, the Holy of Holies, there was the Aaron, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, it was the craziest thing. The Aaron measured two and a half by one and a half cubits. The Kodesh HaKadashim, the Holy of Holies, where nobody can go except the Kayahin Gadol once a year and Yom Kippur went to the Kodesh HaKadashim. It measured 20 by 20 cubits. If you would measure from one end of the Ark to the wall, of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, 10 cubits. You would measure from the other end, 10 cubits. And then you would measure the Ark itself, one and a half, two and a half by one and a half cubits. The Gemara says, Mikhaim Arain Eina Minhamida, the place 
of the ark took up no space. This was a physical manifestation of the divine. You looked at it, you can see that there was a divine source. And everything is going to do that when Mashiach comes. This physical world which now hides him is going to become translucent to him and is going to express him and we're going to physically behold the divine essence in everything. But until that point, that is not revealed here. The place where it's revealed is in the higher world when the Torah and mitzvahs become incorporated within the tense, if he wrote, and we can see their true nature, that this is the divine will. So let me sum up what we said until now, and then we're going to move to this incredible, fascinating gloss. So the altar was said like this. When the Torah and the mitzvahs rise to the higher worlds, there their true nature shines. Even if there's kavanah in this world, we can't see their true nature. When it rises to the tense, if he wrote, of the higher world, there their essence becomes revealed. This is something that cannot be revealed at all in this world. Not even a tiny drop of it until the end of days. The coming of Mashiach. Now, let's think about what we're talking. Let's, let's consider the topics we're speaking about right now. We're looking at two ideas. We're looking at the idea of the Torah and the mitzvot, which we called Hashem's will, right? Everything in this world hides Hashem. The Torah and mitzvahs break through all the worlds and they are expression of his essence. They are his will. The Torah and mitzvahs being his will are one with Hashem. They are Hashem. Sounds crazy, but that's the fact. The Torah and mitzvahs are completely one with Hashem. They are his will. Now, we're saying Torah and mitzvahs in this world can't reveal what they are. Where can they reveal what they are? When they rise to the higher worlds, within the ten sefirot, there, the ten sefirot are literally godliness and the divine essence of the Torah and mitzvot can shine. What are the ten sefirot? The ten sefirot are ten defined ways, ten specific powers, which Hashem chooses to express himself in order to create and conduct the worlds. So while they are infinite and while they are godliness, they're actually limited in a certain way. There is a certain symptom when it, we speak of the ten wrote because we're speaking of ten specific powers. Hashem is beyond any number, any limitation, any specific powers. So let's put these next to each other. The Torah and mitzvahs being Hashem's will, which is really his essence, beyond any limitations or definitions. And then the tense, if he wrote, which are the divine operating force in each world, completely fused with Hashem, totally expressing him, but nevertheless, they're limited. There's 10 of them. So really, the Torah and mitzvot are higher even than the tense, if he wrote. And that's what we're going to discuss right now. That's right. And could you imagine what happens when we draw Hashem's will, the Torah and the mitzvot, into the, into the ten sefirot? Then something amazing happens. Do you know how we talk about es ratzon, a time of, a time of divine favor? It really means a time of will. That's right. When our Torah and mitzvot, which are Hashem's will, get propelled to the tense, if he wrote, it creates an ace ratzon, 
a time of divine favor, a time of will. What is a time of divine favor? It's a time, an opportune time for material and spiritual bounty and goodness. And that is something that we create when we allow Hashem's will to rise to the tents if he wrote, which it is truly above them. Hashem's will is the essence of the tents if he wrote. And when their essence shines, something amazing happens. So let's look at this note of the Alter Rebbe. In the following note, the Alter Rebbe states that the revelation of divine will in a particular world caused by the ascent of Torah and mitzvot thereto, a revelation which he describes as an hour of divine will or divine favor, produces a reaction in the midot of that world. With the revelation of divine will, the midot fused and the attributes of severity are sweetened or tempered with kindness. This in turn results in an increased flow of divine kindness in our world. This effect of the mitzvot is felt primarily in the fusion of the midot of atzilut. Okay. Visham meir umisgale gamkein hayichod ha'elyein ha'nase b'chol misa v'salmatayra. There, in the higher worlds, there also shines forth and is revealed the supernal union affected by every mitzvah and by Torah study. Shehu yichud midaisa v'yisbarech. Namely, the union of God's midot. These midot fuse with each other, and the gevurot, the attributes of severity, are sweetened by the chasadim, the attributes of kindness. So this is something really incredible, okay? What happens is, when we study Torah, and we do a mitzvah with these, this kavanah, of love and fear, we allow the Torah to rise, to be incorporated within the tensifi he wrote. And what happens there? Hashem's will becomes manifested within the tensifi he wrote. The tensifi he wrote contain opposites, seemingly. Obviously, they're all there to serve one purpose, Hashem. But there's chesed, which is boundless kindness. And then there's gevura, which is restraint. And what happens is, when the essence of them is revealed within them, they, they become united with each other. Their shared essence unites them and the dominant force becomes chesed. So let me explain, okay? There's, there's seven midas actually, but the two, primary, the two primary midot, the two primary emotions are chesed, kindness, or also translated as love, and givura, which is, Severity, also translated as fear. The mode of chesed, of kindness, is to give. Just give. I don't care if they deserve. I don't even care if they need, actually. I'm just giving, 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 giving. That is the mode of chesed. Just give. Boundless giving. Let's look at the gevura. Gevura is about restraint, withholding. No. You don't just give everyone. If he doesn't deserve, he doesn't get. And not just that, it can even cause discomfort or difficulty, chas v'shalom. Because there's judgment, it feels bitter, it withholds, it doesn't allow the person or the receiver to get the full scope of the bounty. Now, when Hashem's will, ratzon, is drawn down into the midot, 
their shared essence becomes apparent and they become one with each other. What is the source of chesed? Well, let's think about chesed. Chesed is unbounded kindness. Its source, what it reflects, is Hashem's essence, which is completely unbounded and limitless. Now let's look at Gevura. What's the source of Gevura? The source of Gevura is the Tzimtzum, is where Hashem contracted himself to allow for the perception of a being other than him. So when the Ratzon, the will of Hashem, shines within the tense if he wrote, the dominating force becomes Chesed, whose essence is Hashem himself, and all the other Midot operate with the agenda of chesed. Which means that Gevura is not canceled out. If Gevura was canceled out, if the restraint was just removed, no one would receive anything. Because once the restraint is removed, then it's not even suited to the vessels of the receiver. However, while Gevura remains in place, it has the agenda of chesed. The bottom line becomes chesed. And so Gevura withholds just enough so that it suits the vessels of the recipient, but what comes through is pure kindness, spiritual and material bounty. And this happens when Hashem's will, which is beyond the tense if he wrote, is pulled into the tense if he wrote, the midot become fused with each other, and the givurot, the severity, the judgments, which are considered to be something bitter, become sweetened by the chesed, Everything becomes an expression of chesed. We create this ace ratzai, this time of divine favor, when we send our Torah and mitzvot, which are Hashem's will, his ratzon, to the higher worlds. And that becomes an ace ratzai, a time of divine favor. So, you know, you speak about an ace ratzai all the time and people don't see the depth of it. Look at this. We're literally creating an ace rutzai, a time of divine favor, when we allow Hashem's will, which is his essence, to shine within the ten sifirot. And something incredible happens. Okay. Okay, so these midas fuse, these midas fuse with each other. The gvuris are sweetened by the chasadim through the hour of will, favor of the blessed Ainsof, meaning the revelation of the will of the Ainsof, which shines forth and reveals itself in abundant and intense revelation. And how is this happening? Be'is arusa dilasata. He asiyas ha-mitzvah e'ese katayra shebehen melubash ratzene alien Ainsof baruchu. By reason of the arousal of man below, consisting of the performance of a mitzvah or occupation in Torah, which the supernal will of the blessed Ainsof is clothed. So the Zohar says, Be'isarusa dilasata isarusa dilaela. An arousal from below causes a corresponding arousal above. When a person studies Torah, when a person does a mitzvah, they're revealing the divine will below. What's the corresponding arousal that's happening above, they're revealing the divine will above. And what happens when the divine will is revealed above, then is an ace ratzon, a time of will, a time of divine favor. The revelation of the divine will, meaning the will clothed in Torah and mitzvot, produces a fusion of the midot and a sweetening of gevurot in whatever world the Torah and mitzvot ascend to. However, ach, 
But the main unity caused by Torah and mitzvot takes place far higher in the world of Atzilut. So yes, the, the Torah and mitzvah is rising to either Yetzirah or even higher than that to Bria. But where does the principal fusion takes place? take place? In the highest world, in the world of Atzilus. Why? Where the core and essence of Hashem's midot are united with their emanator, the Ein Saif, blessed be He. In the world of Atzilus, the Zahar says, He and his causations are one. That means he and his vessels, as it were, are one. His tents, if he wrote, are totally one with Hashem. The tents, if he wrote, are one with Hashem in every world. However, Hashem wanted to have an abode in the lowest realms. And that means that he had to create the perception that there's something else other than him. And as the worlds move lower, the greater is the perception of supposed self, and the less is the perception of the divine. And this is true even within the tents, if he wrote, of the lower worlds. However, in the world of Atsilas, it is clearly apparent that the tents, if he wrote, are truly one with Hashem. And so that's where the primary unification of the Midot takes place. So a person is studying Torah and they're doing mitzvahs in this world and they're having the kavana, even that just minimal amount of kavana, that awareness that this is with love and fear of Hashem, that allows their Torah and mitzvahs to fly to a higher world. It could be to the world of Yetzirah. It could be to the world of Bria. And this causes a fusion of the Midot. And this makes an effect in every single world. It's an ace ratzon, a time of divine favor. But where does the principal fusion take place? In the world of Atzilus. Why in the world of Atzilus? Because that's where you can see that the Midot are totally one with Hashem. That's where you can see that His divine will that the ten Sifi wrote are truly an expression of his divine will. That's the primary place of fusion. And there is found the core and essence of the supernal will of the blessed Ainsaif. Of which a mere glimmer radiates in Berea, Yetzirah, and Asiya, in each of these worlds according to its rank. So we're doing this act of Revealing Hashem's will in this world, meaning studying Torah, doing a mitzvah. So we are expressing Hashem's will in this world. We're having some level of kavana. It's rising to a higher world. It's creating a fusion. But the main fusion is happening in the highest of all worlds, in the world of Atzilas. And because the fusion is happening there, a radiance is sent forth to all of the worlds, each world according to its level. The highest fusion, the principal fusion, takes place in the world of Atilas. Wow. So you're going to tell me that a person in this world who is not a tzaddik, who is maybe on a really low level, is creating a fusion in Atilas? How is that possible? We learned that souls, most souls actually, this is the altar of teaches in a Hasidic discourse, that most souls are not from Atsilas. And this is true not just in our later generations. This is true even in the earliest generations. Souls of Atsilas are very rare. And as we learned in chapter 39, based on our kind of service, what mode of service we have, that's the world to which we have a relationship. So if somebody 
principally operates with instinctive love and fear. They have a relationship with the world of Yetzirah. That's the world of the angels. That's the world where the emotions of Hashem radiate. That's, that's, that's their place. That's where they have a relationship, the same vibe. Somebody generates intellectual love and fear, and they have a relationship with the world of Berea. That's where Hashem's, as it were, intellectual faculties shine. Chachma binadas. This is something that produces the emotions as a deep awareness. They have a relationship with the world of Berea. Who has a relationship with the world of Atilas? So few people. If you're going to look throughout history, you can count them in, I don't know, not that many. And what's their mode of service? Total surrender. They're the level of Merkava. Nothing about them expresses anything other than Hashem. Those are the people that have a relationship with Atsilas. True, all souls are rooted in Atsilas. However, as the souls come down to be clothed within a body in this world, they take on the consciousness of the worlds below Atsilas. So they start out in Atsilas, then they go to Bria, take on the consciousness of Bria. If they're lucky enough, they come straight down with the Bria consciousness. That's not true for most of us. Then it goes to the world of Yetzirah, takes on an additional consciousness of Yetzirah, and if that's that's pretty lucky too. And then most people take on even the consciousness of Asiya, of this world, the spiritual aspect of this world, and that's how they come down here. So while every soul is rooted in Atsilas, most souls don't even have a relationship with that kind of service. And we're going to say a regular everyday person that studies Torah and does a mitzvah with Kavana is creating a fusion in the world of Atsilas. And this is what the Alter Rebbe is going to address right now. Now, although the soul of the person engaging in this Torah study or mitzvah does not stem from Hatzilas, Nevertheless, he is able to affect unity in the Midot of Hatzilas because the supernal will which is clothed in this mitzvah. And in the case of Torah, it is not merely clothed in it, but furthermore, it is indeed the very halacha that he is studying. Who elikus? It is godliness. And is the of light of the emanator of the sefirot of Atzilus, blessed be he. Shehu uretzayne echad, since he and his will are one. So yeah, the person may be small, but the supernal will is vast. And when we are expressing the supernal will in this world, do you know what it is? This is incredible. Look at the words of the Alter Rebbe. He says two things. He said, it's the supernal will that is clothed in this mitzvah. And he says, it is the supernal will itself, which is this Torah study. There's two things here. There is the will, and then how the will, will is carried out. When it comes to a mitzvah, the Alter Rebbe said the supernal will is clothed in it. He didn't say it's the will itself. He said the will is clothed within the mitzvah. When it came to Torah, the Alter Rebbe said, Hu, hu, atzmai hadvar halacha. It is the very, very halacha. And the Torah that he is studying, the Torah, the Halacha, is the very will of Hashem. I'm like, I'm waiting for people to go crazy because this is such a wild concept. I mean, think about it, okay? 
The analogy given in Chassidus is somebody has a desire. Let's say the king has a desire to build a home. So he has workers go and carry out the plans. The workers are fulfilling the will, but they are not actually living the will. They are carrying out the will. So Hashem has this desire for mitzvahs to be carried out in this world. When we carry out mitzvahs, his will is clothed within the mitzvahs. We are expressing his will through the mitzvahs. We are satisfying his will through the mitzvahs. However, when it comes to Torah, it is his very will. And when we study Torah, we are fusing with the supernal will itself. It is godliness. It is not just implementing the plans. It is actually being within. It's not just carrying out the blueprint. It's not just making the house happen. It's reviewing the blueprint with the architect. It's literally uniting with his desire. When we are expressing words of Torah with our mouth, we're actually expressing the very divine will. It's not just that the will is clothed in it. It is his will. It is godliness. And that's why even a simple person in this world who studies Torah, who does a mitzvah, yeah, we may be small, but look what we're dealing with over here. We're dealing with the very supernal will, which is beyond even the world of Atsilas. Unbelievable. Here's a joke. I don't think it expresses it properly, but like to just help us flip our frame of reference because sometimes we're considering the wrong factors. So there's this American tycoon farmer who comes to Israel. You know, he doesn't just one own little, he doesn't just own one little patch of land. He owns vast lands and he's touring the land of Israel and he meets up with an Israeli farmer and he says, oh, you know, I'm also a farmer. And the Israeli guy is like, okay, good. And he said, but me... My farm is a little different than your farm. I get on my tractor in the morning and I ride and ride and ride and ride. I'm riding all day. It's barely the nighttime and I reach the other end of my field. And he's waiting for a big wow from the Israeli farmer. The Israeli farmer slaps him on the back and he said, oh yeah, I used to have a tractor like that too. No, it's not the tractor. It's the farm. We have to switch our frame of reference. We're saying, we don't have that kind of consciousness. Yeah, our soul is rooted in Atsilas, but the consciousness that we've taken on, we're so diminished. How could we make any effect in the world of Atsilas? One second. Do you know what you're dealing with over here? Here, You're dealing with the very supernal will. Only man has that power to deal with the supernal will, which is Hashem himself. To affect all the worlds, including the highest world of Atsilas, and to create a fusion over there in that highest world. And this supernal will is actually the source of the Midot, since it was by his will that he emanated his Midot, which are united with himself. Therefore, by means of the revelation of his will, caused by one's engaging in Torah or in a particular mitzvah, the midot fuse with each other. 
And the Gevurot are sweetened by Chasadim at this hour of revealed favorable will. So let's sum up this note that we just read. And we were talking about Yao. When we study Torah and we do a mitzvah with a proper intention, then we allow the Torah and mitzvah to express its true nature, which cannot be expressed at all in this world. Its true nature has to shine in a place that is its realm. And where is that? That's in the tense of Firo. That's godliness. The Torah mitzvahs rise up to the inner aspect of the world, which is godliness. And there you can see what it's about. One second. The Torah and mitzvahs are Hashem's will. They transcend any limitations, even the limitations of the tense of Firo. And that's right. When Hashem's will is drawn into the tense of Firo, then Hashem's midais, his divine attributes fuse with each other and the severities, the judgments are tempered by kindness. This ratzon, this will is an essence, a shared essence of all the sefirot, is the shared essence of all the midot. When their shared essence become apparent, they fuse now. And what becomes the operating dominating force? Chesed. All the midot become an expression of chesed and gevura becomes sweetened, and it, it causes an ace retzain, a time of favorable will. And this fusion affects every world, no matter where the, the Torah mitzvahs rise to, whether to the world of Yetzirah or higher that to the world of Bria. This happens in every world. There's a, as long as the Torah mitzvahs rise, the tense of he wrote, it causes this fusion. But where does the principal fusion happen? The principal fusion happens in the place where Hashem's midot are truly unified with him in an apparent way. And that's in the highest world, in the world of Atsilas. So in the world of Atsilas, where Hashem's midas are truly one with him, that's where the principal fusion happens. And then the radiance or the glimmer of it trickles down to the worlds below it, each one according to its level. And you could say, one second, how is that possible? A regular person to create a fusion in the world of Atsilas? Yes. Because he is dealing with Hashem's ratzon, Hashem's will. And with that will, he's able to affect this fusion because this will is godliness itself. This will is godliness. And he is able with taking this act of a mitzvah in which the divine will is clothed or this Torah study, which is the very divine will itself, we have the ability to deal with pure divinity, the essence of divinity in our world. And when we do, we can affect way beyond what we could be conscious of in the world of Atsilas, and that creates an ace ratzon, a time of divine favor. And the gevurot, the attributes of severity, are sweetened by chasadim, the attributes of kindness. So that is it for class for today and opening up for questions and discussion.